0: Hey guys, welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. My name is Kevin Kaufman, your host, and today I am excited to to run this episode. This is actually something I recorded with my friends Frank Plezitz of Viral Marketing and Greg Harrelson of Century 21 on their podcast, Keeping It Real, which is uh, actually run for Real Geek. The technology company, CRM company. So, Frank, if you don't know Frank, he is, dude, he is awesome. He is the CEO and co founder of Viral Marketing, a seven figure, kind of done for you video marketing firm geared towards helping agents and other professionals retain existing clients, sphere of influence, et cetera, as well as increase that client base through lead generation. He's super passionate about helping his clients achieve uh, their potential, which is one of the reasons I love Frank. and Greg, if you don't know Greg, he's the owner and president of the Century 21, the Harrelson Group, and founder of Real Estate Solutions and host of the Level Up podcast, uh, as well as one of the most successful real estate agents literally ever of all time, such a great smart guy. Um, And this is a podcast, like I said, we recorded for them. I was actually initially set up as the guest, and while I was the guest and kind of the focus of it, what happened here was a really good conversation between the three of us, partially because Frank is very intelligent uh, and knows how to ask questions. He and I know each other very well, and Greg is very intelligent, runs a very successful real estate business, understands the different models. And so the three of us were really able to kind of get into a groove. And I've never been on a podcast before where I got so much feedback. Um, And so I thought, you know what, let's run this one here. So originally aired on the Real Geeks podcast, but got permission from the team over at Real Geeks and, of course, from Frank and Greg to run this here on the Kevin and Fred Show. So without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode of the Kevin and Fred Show where we talk about the most profitable economic model for a real estate team.
1: Welcome everyone to Keeping It Real. I'm Frank Klesitz. I'm your host. I'm here with Greg Harrelson, my co-host. And today we're going to spend some time with Kevin Kaufman out of Tempe, Arizona to talk about the best economic model for a team. This will be interesting because Greg, I'm sure yours is very different than Kevin's or not, but I'm sure you have very different opinions on this. This is what I kind of did in the write-up. So Kevin has a really good story to tell us about how his team was organized before, and then he made some pretty big shifts. In fact, he increased the splits. That's kind of the big thing and why. And uh, Kevin, that's what we're going to talk about today. So Um, before I bring Kevin on, I want to let you know that you can go to keepingitreal.com. All right. You can watch all the past replays of all the previous shows. They're all there for you. You can also go to Keeping It Real on iTunes. You can watch all the previous shows that way as well. You can also go to the Real Geeks Facebook page and group. So the Real Books Facebook page and group, you can go on there and you can watch all the previous shows. We've been doing these for years of interviewing top agents like Kevin and you, Greg, all over the country to get to the bottom of what you're doing to sell homes and be profitable and run a good business. Sound good? So today's topic is what's the best economic model for a real estate team? I think the key here is the word best, right? It's what's the best for you. So we're going to find out what's the best... What the best model is for Kevin might be different for different team leaders and brokers, but the best one for Kevin and why you're in the kind of decisions made around it. So, without further ado, let's get started. Kevin, welcome, my friend.
2: Thanks, man. I'm, I'm stoked to be here um, and to have this conversation. And I'll, I'll just start it off by saying that last caveat that you threw in there, I think is really important because if we don't, everything else I say today is going to sound like a fact and it's really just an opinion. Like yeah. it's got to be the best for you. So, it's with the, that, for
1: Kevin. So, yeah. I think. Let's understand, Kevin. Let's start here. You've been in real estate for how many years?
2: Uh, just over 14 now.
1: All in Phoenix? Yes. Got it. And uh, last year, to give the audience some perspective, uh, how many agents do you have and how many homes did your team sell? Uh,
2: approximately 25 agents, uh, 310 transactions, 100 and, I don't know, 10, 115 million in volume.
1: And I think it's interesting is how much money do you spend on advertising?
2: Very little. Um, I'll bet under 3,000, man, 3,500 bucks a month for the whole team for the whole, yeah, for everyone.
1: So you generate all those leads Mm -hmm. and you do all all that business with a total of $3,500 a month in advertising spend. Is that correct?
2: It is. So, well, let me, let me give the caveat. That's like our ad, what I would call our lead budget is low like I said, and I probably, I, I estimated high there. I don't think, I'm not sure that it's even that high. We spend a little more money on our sphere um, and making sure we're present in front of those people. So if you add that in, may, maybe it's closer to $4,000, but it's not a lot of money. Um, and because like we could, I mean, I can go into that. There was a time where we were spending way more on leads. Well, we will
1: go into all that. We'll get the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. But um does pretty much everyone work for home, from home or do you have an office?
2: I like it's to work curious. from the office, man. Um, so prior to March of 2018, I would say a good portion of the agents worked from the office as well as the administrative staff. And then of course that all changed. You and I were on the phone that day um, when I made the decision of we've got to close the office last March. And uh, since then, a few agents have returned. Mostly um, the same people that were here then are just here a little, they're here, but a little bit less now. A lot of our agents work completely remotely. And if you would have asked me if that was even acceptable in my eyes four or five years ago, I'd have, I, I just would not stand for somebody not coming to the office. Like there's no way I could have been associated with that while I was running the day-to-day of, the, of our sales team. Like there's just no way, but that's, you know, like, like our economic model has completely changed and evolved over the years.
1: Okay. So that should give everyone a little bit of context for the interview. So, Kevin, I'm going to go back to when you first set up your real estate team. Tell me how you did it. Tell me the splits that you paid. And tell me the economic bundle you followed uh, initially.
2: You know, if I, if I go all the way back, um, the when we actually started to form a team, which would have been late 2008, that and I started working together, February of 'oh eight. Fred and my biz- being my business partner, we were kind of just, you know, for a long time, we just ran into the very traditional MREA split. So if you're, f- if you're familiar with the economic model at a million, our real estate agent, um, we were, Fred and I were doing all the listings and then our buyer's agents were effectively 50-50. And over time that evolved where we moved to having a listing agent in place and no longer being a listing agent. And that person was on a small split plus salary, mostly salary. Uh, it very in line with, again, the MREA model. And then the buyer's explain,
1: agent. Explain what the MREA stands for. First
2: Millionaire. So the book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, right? Which is an amazing book and great uh, resource reference material. And I think baseline to start from. It's kind of like the Frankensteins. Uh, when, so when, when Gary Keller and Jay Papazan wrote that book, it was interviewing the top agents in the country. And it, this was kind of the Frankenstein of all the best of the best model, model wise for for the business, right? And so we we very much were in line with that. Um, and as our business started to evolve, we changed things like we eventually brought on a lead buyers agent, had a showing had showing assistants who were receiving, basically small percentage. Um, over the years, we then we've had to sort of reinvent ourselves numerous times. There was a probably almost a two year stretch where we were back on the, in the listing, uh, handling all the listings and we had salaried buyer's agents, uh, which was very profitable for us. And yet it was not the model that we felt like we could scale when we were ready to scale. And so we went to, we completely changed our model. It would have been August, 2014, where we decided to, the agents in our world would be allowed to work with both buyers and sellers. At that time we went to the splits were 25% to the agent, 75% to the team on a listing and either 45 or 50% to the agent and either 50 or 55% to the team on the buy side, depending upon their experience and potentially a lead source.
1: And it sounds like at that time you were spending a lot more money on lead generation too.
2: We were, we had a, we had quite the ad budget, um, you know, significantly, a multiple of what what we spend today, for sure.
1: And you carried on that model, which is probably your typical team model that I think most commonly fall in. For how long?
2: You know, it it was just about two and a half years ago that we started to really um, move away from that model for the most part. And I say that with a caveat of um, just examining our business. And and I, I feel like I should also add part of the, our model, the reason why it's developed and changed over the years is because our role that we play in the business has changed so much. And um, it's, it's something where, you know, I've taken one listing personally since 2015. Um, and, and Fred has probably taken two or three. So we're not in production. We still generate some business, but we are, you know, we're completely out of that. Um, and what we started to notice was, as we really scaled up, what we, what cost us a lot of money in our model were the things that were perceived a low value, but they were costing us a lot of money. And when I say that, I mean, things like lock boxes and signs and listing photos and licensed transaction management support, things like that. And what seemed to always be of higher value was more money. And that really didn't actually cost us that much to do some of those things. And so One, as long as we move the numbers around and the expenses, right? So one of the things that we've always been really good about is asking ourselves the question, are we doing this completely wrong? What if we were doing this opposite? Would it be better? Would it be different? And a lot of our friends that we mastermind with and talk with from around the country had, had definitely shifted models over the years. Uh, I've got one friend specifically here locally who had a drastically different model. And we'd always be like, "Could we do this the way Josh does? Would that work? Basically, what if, what if we're wrong? And over the course of probably three, four years asking that same question, we started to make that change. And in, I wanna say it was February of 2019 is when we officially decided to make the move. So we kind of run two different teams within our team. We've got a core set of four agents who are on more of that traditional model and support system where it's um, little, they're 50% on, on buyers and more like 40, 45% on listings, but they get more services from us, right? We're paying for their lock boxes. We're paying for their signs. Our transaction management is doing all licensed work from contract forward or and from listing forward. Um, and so it's a lot more hands-on, like white glove service, if you will, for them. And those folks work with a lot of mine and friends sphere and the four of them do a good portion of our overall business. And then the rest of the team is on, is on effectively a 70-30 split, 70 to the agent, 30 to the team. We have some minimums uh, commission to the team that have to be met on every transaction, in case there's give, in case you know a discount or anything like that is, is, is given out to a client, and then we have effectively one lead source where it's actually sixty forty. So a new agent joins the team today, they'll start at sixty forty for three transactions. They will then move to seventy thirty from that point forward.
1: So in in effect, besides maybe four core people that have stuck around with you, where you kept the same support system. Everyone else, you increase the split and you decrease the support. But I use support lightly. Can you explain what you took out? Because you just shifted those costs onto the agent as opposed to coming on to you. And everyone was cool with that.
2: Yeah. In fact, so a lot of, actually, we have plenty of agents that have been with us for, gosh, some of them five years, five to six years now that are on that. Um, higher split model, lower support model, if you will, we gave, we basically went to those agents who are high quality, been with us for a long time. And we gave them the option and we said, I think you'll make more money if you stay on this split, but we are offering this to you because everyone else is going to get it. And so some of them opted to go with the new higher splits and less support. Some of them opted to, in the four opted to stay on the, on the higher support, but also a higher split to the team model. Um, and this will surprise literally nobody. Those people are the highest earners net income paychecks at the end of the year, right? Because they've, they value their time. And so what, that's what we did. So, so the cost that we shifted is we no longer do license support. So I don't need as many tra- licensed transaction coordinators to process our business. Right? So that's one, one expense. The next expense is we no longer pay for their signs. We no longer pay for their lock boxes. We don't pay for their listing photos and video tours. We don't do, um, I mean, effectively it just, to your point, it just shifted the cost of them. So it took us a few months for that to sort of even out. And once that did our profit margin, you know, actually went up. So that's, uh, did that answer your question?
1: Kind of, I have some deeper questions. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna ask a naive question but um, they still work for eXp. So they still have their 80, 20 and the cap. Yes. And then another 30% after that goes to you and then they get paid.
2: Yeah. So the effectively the way it is uh, in our brokerage that I think with most, uh, but I could be wrong. It worked this way for us with KW2 is, okay, so there's the top line commission. It's split. And because example, someone that's coming to me, someone that's come to another agent, right? So then the caps are taken out after the split. So 70, 30, said so there's $10,000 check, top line commission, 7, 7,000 is going goes to you. the agent, three yeah. 70 goes to the agent, 33 yeah. co- comes to me, then we're both paying our splits to the company. Now within our company, our agents have a very low cap because we are what they call a mega icon team. So effectively it takes about three transactions a year for agents on our team to cap with the brokerage. So they're really only paying that 20% for three deals.
1: Oh, they let the uh, cab go through the whole team then.
2: Effectively. I'm guaranteeing it by our production.
1: Okay. Yep. I'm I'm following you on this. So the bro so the money goes to you and the agent with mm-hmm. the 70-30 split or the agent, then you use 70 split. And then the broker takes their cut off of that, respectively.
2: Yeah, no different than like let's say I sent Greg a referral, right? And you know, so let's say it was uh whatever. Send him a referral, he sends me back a check for for, for money. Like the broker is going to, if I'm uncapped, they're going to take their part of my cap. Right. And Uh so, and, and I know Greg's model is different, but same thing would happen for that, for the other agent. It's really, at the end of the day, team models are really just referral models. They just have more support built in.
1: So let me ask you this question, as opposed to someone going directly to eXp or the broker or a broker, they decide to give away another 30% of their check to you. Why? What are the value propositions of why your team is still around where they can just go work directly for the broker?
2: So that's, I mean, that is the question, right? To me. And, and that's something I, I say to my agents every day. It's like, you have to know that every time there's a there's a commission check split, the amount of money that doesn't come to you is an investment into your business. So you have to have a return on that, right? So for us with where we're at today, we believe strongly that our value proposition starts with number one structure. Like we actually, I, I think we can all agree if you've ever met a real estate agent, structure is something that is needed uh, and not 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 something that a lot of us have on our own. Structure, training, mentorship, culture, support. Some people are here for the leads. Some people are also here for the technology that comes with it, with the things that we do spend money on, right? And the training that that we have for them. And some of it is just culture and community. Some, some of it is the leverage that being on a team and not having to carry the entire load. And, you know, I think I don't see this as a value, but I, I do know, I'm aware that it is a value to some agents, like having the lower split at K at exp, not having to pay the full $16,000 is a, is also a benefit to them. They have all the same upside, but they're also, you know, they're only paying a, a quarter of a cap, if you will. And so there's, there is, um, I think in a nutshell, those are it, I think most people will come in for one reason they think it's that it's either the mentorship or the training and what happens is people end up staying because of the culture the community um the structure the leverage like all of those things it's, it's different for everyone
1: and it's a lot of those intangibles and goodwill It's yeah. not really that expensive
2: it's, it's really kind of
1: like, not eh, i'll stick around did you find like your need to spend time recruiting go down that for the team in? yeah for you since you increased your splits and cut some of your fixed costs?
2: Yeah. We've, we've never had retention rates the way that we have now. Um, never. And it's, um, again, we've got part of it is just time, right? Time on task over time, but we've got our, our longest tenured agent has been with us now for eight, eight and a half years. And there's a handful of agents that have been with us for between five and six and a half years as well. And then a lot of other ones that have, you know, most of our agents have been with us more than two years. There's only a handful that have even been here less than two years.
1: Here's my last question, then, Greg. I want you to ask something. Um, so, clearly, by only spending 3500 bucks a month on marketing, be four grand, the pretty good sized split to the agent, right? Um, how do they get their business? Is everyone just prospecting on their own and working their own database?
2: God, wouldn't that be nice? Um, so, part I mean, of yeah. it. Is- yeah, I mean, that'd be,
1: so, you must be an amazing trainer and coach and leader to make that happen with 24 people. I don't, what's, the, I don't, what's the secret sauce there?
2: So there's, there's, I think here's a good portion of it, right? Fred and I, while we don't transact business, we very much bring in business through our sphere of influence, right? Um, you're, 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 you're a part of that, right? That's part of what we do.
1: And your um, sphere supports 300 transactions a year.
2: No, our sphere supports a hundred, like maybe a hundred, maybe a buck 10. Like the rest comes through the agent sphere and then the leads that we do pay for, right? So it's a combination of about two, it was two years ago, July, we really made a decision to get serious about our sphere. And we did. And then of course we then brought that to every single agent on the team. And that has been the uh, drumbeat or you know, whatever you want to call it, the chant of the team for two plus years. And that has, so uh, trust me, we don't do this perfectly we just extract a lot more business from our sphere and our agent sphere than we ever have before. And then we also have, we also do, we still close leads from our, you know, deals from our internet leads, just like we always have, because that's actually, and Greg's the master of this. Like he's, Greg told him last time, him and I were on a podcast together, which wasn't long ago. Like he's my hero in this. It's the long-term follow-up. At the end of the day, we still pay to generate new leads, but a good portion of that budget I told you I had is really just staying back in front of all the leads I already have that we've bought, you know, the 40, 50,000 leads that we've purchased over the years that we haven't yet transacted with. And so it's really about cultivating what we already have.
1: Greg, what are your thoughts on all this?
3: Uh, Yeah, I, I, I I think it's great. You know, I, I I'll give you my authentic thoughts. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, it costs a percent of your revenue to run your business, okay, that's just it. Period. Yep. And it's more than ten percent, and it's more than twenty percent, and it's probably thirty percent. Now, the cost of that is could be I'm at a I'm at a a a a, a per transaction company, hundred percent company, and so out of the thirty percent. per transaction goes to that company. And then X amount of money goes towards marketing and X amount goes towards leads and X amount goes towards, um, you know, management and staff. And then at the end of the day, the agent really nets out about 70%. And then you could go to an 80-20 company or scenario and 20% goes to the company and then 10% actually still leaves the agent's pocketbook and goes to somebody. You could be at a 70-30 company, which is a portion of what Kevin's company is. And you probably have no money coming out of your pocket, out of anything extra, but 30% goes to the team. And then you could have somebody that has a different model in that team. But that even that person is probably spending 30% if they look at total revenue and then total profitability at the end of the day. Now, some people on this could argue and say, no, I'm not. I said, well, you probably, maybe you're 20% going out, not 30%. But what you don't know is because you're not in a structured scenario, you're probably losing 10% in opportunity costs that if you had that built-in accountability, you would have actually made that much more money. So people don't calculate the opportunity costs. What I'm really trying to say is like, it, it's what works best for you, as you all said in the beginning, I, I'm a strong believer in. I'm also a big proponent of the BS factor and this whole split conversation that's in our industry. It's always going to be relatively the same. It's just everybody packages it different. And the it's, it's like a, di- a book on diets. One year, it's a South Beach diet. And then after it becomes a bestseller, then two years later, they word scramble that damn South Beach diet. They put a different uh, cover on it and they call it the the Arizona flavor diet. And then all of a sudden they go sell it to all the agents again. And it's just people bouncing around from book to book to book. When the reality is, it's like, look, what what Kevin's doing is he's providing a great value, a great product. People are consuming it and they're doing better because of it. And there's why his retention is there. That's all my thoughts. That was a lot of thoughts, Frank. More than you asked. Yeah, me
1: I mean, let's. I'm going to go deeper on the audience for this. I mean, the title is the best economic model. I mean, you've done so many, Kevin, and you've seen so many, and you're an incredibly hyper-competitive market manager. Mm. Phoenix. like you can't drive down, you can't throw a rock and not see some billboard about someone to help you sell your house. Follow or me? Buy it. Yeah. You or buy, or you know, just buy the house. Do you think doubling down on your sphere was like just from the competitive environment, that's how you have to compete in such a market?
2: Yeah. So I I think the other thing that's worth noting, um, in my, in my, in our model that we currently run is it's built around the amount of time in our interaction with the business, right. As well. If I was say in production, it might be different. If I was leading daily you know, it might be a little bit different. So there's, there's a couple of those things, right. But literally the conversation I had with Fred was, and we've always done a decent job of pulling in referrals from our sphere and past clients and whatnot. But the conversation I had was, and so two years ago, we'd been in business together 11 and a half years. And I just said to him, man, we've been doing this for too long, not to make sure we all, no matter what happens with real estate in the future, no matter what happens to the real estate agent, we are we we've been in this too long and done too good a job to not guarantee ourselves 100 150 transactions a year just from our sphere nothing else i don't care if it's just us and two or three other people much less 20 other people and so what are those things going to be and how do we do that so it doesn't take a lot of our time because we do have other things that require our activities and focus um, more so than the real estate sales so i i think that's a lot of it right because i know that like I cannot outspend Open Door, I cannot outspend Zillow. I can't outspend Kenny Klaus. I can't, I, like there's a lot of people I'm not gonna outspend on marketing to the masses, but what I can do is I can take my, my group of people that whether they're my sphere, family, friends, past clients, leads I've already paid for, and I can beat them in that, on, that, on that battleground. I can, I can win that battleground by just going deeper in what I already have.
1: So I think that's, I think I'll say the yeah. conversation there. Yeah, that's good. Is how you do that. So if someone's watching this at this point, they're going, okay, essentially pay the agents of my team a 70-30 split. Do you cap that on the team or is that all the way up?
2: It's all, it's all the way up. I okay. Remember. So 70-30 yeah.
1: split and then hopefully whatever the brokerage has since type have a cap. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, any other fees? Do you charge the agent's fees? Is there any other income sources or payments on that that we didn't know about that affect the economics?
2: Not from the team, no.
1: Okay. The brokerage, in your case, eXp, probably charges some small fees.
2: So, yeah, the brokerage charges $85 a month.
1: That's going to be whatever brokerage you're at. They got something going on.
2: Yeah, no matter what.
1: Got it. But for your team, it's 70, 30, all the way up, no cap. Yep. and it's not blunt you said it's it's 60 40 then 70 30.
2: yeah so new, let's say you're a brand new agent like literally haven't closed the transaction it's going to be 60 40 for the first three transactions just because there's a little more handholding that's going to happen on those three okay it's probably I mean it's gonna be for a while so and then it's then it goes to 70 30 and the that's one caveat reasonable. the one caveat we have is there is a lead source because there is number one the, the budget being spent to generate those leads but then the budget being spent to follow up on those leads outside of our agents, yeah. um, where that, those will be 60, 40 forever. It doesn't matter if they've closed a hundred years. Let me guess. Is that, is that
1: PPC with an ISA team?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. course it is.
1: Yep. And it's interesting. I'll share that with you. I mean, uh, if you're watching this, go to real geese, go check out the real lead service. You've spent how many years buying leads, Kevin?
2: Uh, the first time I bought leads, I mean, 2009. Oh, buying, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, of all the lead sources, you're doubled down still on AdWords. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. In fact, we shifted uh, a bigger portion of our money to AdWords and away from I'll call social.
1: Yeah. And it's more probably, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, homes for sale in niche areas.
2: Yep. 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 And a little bit for sale and, and a little with some ad, uh, ad spend going towards sellers.
1: And then a dedicated ISA or someone dedicated working those phones to call them to then pass to the agent. That's why they pay a little bit of a higher split on those. Yes. Got it. Fair enough. All right. So 70-30. Great. Agent comes on board. You're going to teach them to work their sphere and you work your sphere. I think this is a really interesting way to take this conversation because this affects the splits. What are you doing to work your own sphere? Because it sounds like you get a lot of business from the people that you know that you pass off to your agents. It's one of the big reasons why someone comes and works for you.
2: Um, is that the case? Yeah. So dude, I, the, I, you coined this term, Frank, by land, sea and air. That's what I'm doing. Right. I'm like the people in my world get attacked from all angles from a marketing, if you will, perspective. Well, how big, so, is your list?
1: how big is your, how big is this list that gets attacked by sea, air and land?
2: So there's a few different lists and it kind of, so think of it as like a funnel, right? At the top, it's a little bit bigger. And mm-hmm. as we get to the bottom where it's more expensive, it gets a lot smaller. So the way we start with, it's a few thousand people. It's basically past clients from the last probably four to five years that are receiving two emails a month. You might understand the service, how it goes off, yeah. often full text or video. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a nice little marketing company that I use for that, right? Yeah, viral so marketing
1: is a good job of that, doesn't it?
2: Viral does. They deliver yeah. at a high level. So there's, um, so that's the top, right? Got it. The, ne- the next level down we use is what I think is the easiest money to spend in real estate marketing these days, which is HomeBot, homebot HomeBot.ai. So every single past client goes into HomeBot. Every single new seller lead goes into HomeBot. And that is game changing, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, the next level down, significantly smaller, there is a, there is a postcard that there's direct mail, there's a gentleman by the name of Dean Jackson, who I know you're aware of, yep. who helped me with the direct mail campaign that we have for our sphere that goes to our, to our, a much tighter group uh, every single month. How many people between Fred and I two seventy-five. Not not a lot. That's
1: it. 275 people. That's small. Which,
2: dude, we're cheap. We are really like, we really keep our expenses tight. And then <laughs> Then there are 50 people in my, my world and Fred's world who, uh, also get a gift from us quarterly and that's also done through a service.
1: Got it. And we can share, well, we can share those, man. I think you use client giant.
2: Client giant for the gift. And, uh, Dean's company is called the, um,
1: the world's most interesting postcard. Yes. Is that right?
2: That's it. That is right.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, and so I mean that that that's it for for the most part. Like that's that's what we do up until last year. We'd always done I say always from 2013 through 2019. We'd always done a pie giveaway at that Thanksgiving and kind of combined that the last four or five years with a pictures with Santa Day all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, we I guess we did sort of. Were you a, Santa? Yeah, yeah. No. 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 <laughs>
3: You'd be no. a good Santa.
2: Nah. All right. Well, oh, last year I probably could have been because like this beard was out of control. The COVID beard was real. Um, and so we do that pictures with Santa every year as well as we didn't do pies last year. We did do, technically we did do pictures with Santa. It just was much scaled down and we're hoping to be able, be able to do that again this year. Um,
1: so Kevin, before, you, before we keep going down the path of events, I want to go back. Every single email that you have, this is how you business from your sphere is getting helpful videos and probably getting a little bit of remarketing on Facebook with those videos Mm -hmm. to reach them all digitally. Every email you got, right? Then down below that, anybody who you know is actually like looking to buy is getting some type of buyer trips from the CRM. Real geeks will have that for you. And the people that are homeowners that own a home are getting some type of monthly update about what their home value is Real Geeks has a home value tool. There's many out there. Check out Real Geeks. You use HomeBot, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a segment of people actively buying and homeowners. And then from that segment, you go down, you have 275 people get a postcard. I'm just curious. 275 is a really like, that's a precise number. What What's the criteria to get the postcard? Kevin, I don't get your postcard.
2: I don't have your address. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't get it anyways. You're never home. Um, home. But- well, I mean,
1: curious. seriously, what's the criteria for the 275?
2: If I call you, you would pick up the phone. If I saw you in the supermarket, you'd stop and say, Hey, um, or I wouldn't avoid your call. Like, it's gotta be real sphere of influence. Like, you know, I don't know how to describe that. It's gotta be somebody who's actually my sphere of influence. Not somebody I met once, not a client that was, you know, where it didn't go so well, or I didn't know, like, it's someone like, if I, if I call you, you're picking up and I'm picking up if you're calling me and I don't like to talk on the phone. So it's, you know. (laughs) It's made so, standard. Yeah, it is, But that I'm spending money though. I'm tight.
3: Okay. Hey, so Frank, let's ask him this. Okay, so I think that's the middle of the funnel. Is that right? Is that yeah? Is what, that once we funnel? get
2: to the postcards, it's a little bit. That's a little towards the bottom.
3: That's okay, actually so. Yeah. So, so definitely the bottom of the middle, if not top of the bottom, right? Yep. What What was what's your definition or criteria for somebody that would be top of funnel?
2: Uh, close a transaction with them in the last couple of years Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and then family member, friend, um, that's it. I mean, that's so, and what, and
3: what what would they get? So I was going to say kind of distinguish between the top of the funnel gets this, the middle of funnel gets this and then, or your definition of, 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 of a person that would be in each one of those criteria.
2: Yeah. So like the viral list, which is the very top, right? That is past clients. And then er everyone else who would be all the way down to the bottom of the funnel. So it's past, recent past yeah. clients, because what I'm not trying to do is uh, like, I don't want, I, we can't afford for, for, to have people marking us spam, et cetera. And so those are people that are like, they should know my name on some level, cause like we've transacted, and not my name, but like the company's name, right? So we've transacted on some level and or they are a family member, friend, sphere of influence member, things like that. The next level down, Homebot, it's a little bit of a blend, right? So it is all the past clients, that would be in the viral list and then going forward, it's anybody who we generate as a new seller lead in addition to that. So that, that list continues to grow daily. Right. And so then that's, that is the definition of that. The next one down that with, once they start, once we start hitting them with direct mail, those are the people like they're picking up the phone if I call or vice versa.
1: What about the 50? What's the yeah. criteria for getting the gifts? Yeah. I
2: want us, I got to want to spend money on you. Like, like you're important enough to me that I need to make sure you're, you also know that, Hey, I took the time to do something for you.
3: Is that kind of like an influencer or somebody that can influence transactions? Yeah. So we uh, don't, we don't have a,
2: yeah, we don't have a strong, like, Hey, it has to look like this. It's, you know, some of it is just clients that have been really great to us over the years, whether it's because they've transacted multiple times or referred multiple times or sphere of influence that has referred multiple times, or potentially just, or, Hey, we're really trying to get closer into relationship with somebody. If we're not as tied into to them, just type like that. I mean, it is, it's not, it's not scientific. It's, it's literally Fred and I looking in our spreadsheets and going, and I say spreadsheet, because when we, a couple of years ago, when we did what I called file bankruptcy on my sphere of influence, I mean, I've got, I've got it on a, I've got, it's a, it's on a spreadsheet. It's on a Google sheet that I have that I can, cause that way I can export it and send it to the different things, to the different service. I'm a big believer in using different services. I don't, I don't like the all-in-one bundle ever.
1: I'm just curious, Kevin, you, you were on a large team and you were doing all kinds of crazy generation. I mean, that had to be a complete mind shift to go down to a list of 275 and a list of 50 people and such a tight view of the world from a sphere standpoint. Mm -hmm. Can you share with the audience how you made that transition? Like that's, I mean, it's normal to you now, but think about the days when you were just buying every stranger you possibly could and looking at everyone kind of as a number. So now it's everyone is a relationship.
2: The, so go back to what it was, right? When I'm, I mean, when I'm paying for Greg's drip emails years ago, right? Like that is, I look at, that's me. I'm more actively involved. I'm actually going on, I'm going on appointments, right? I'm a killer. If you get in my web, I like, you're you're just hearing from me until you list or die, whichever. And then your estate's talking with me. That's how I operate.
1: <laughs> your estate's talking with me.
2: Right. So that's that. I mean, literally, I don't like, I'm just, I am relentless. And you know, you know that about me. However, there became a time where I was like, I just don't want to be in my business like that. And so as I started to get further removed from the transaction and then really the bigger shift to, to get to the point of your question, Frank, is as I started to get removed from the daily, what I would call sales team management and leadership, I had, I, I just realized like, those are my standards. I know that most people are not going to do that. If they were, there's a good chance that they're not on my team. They're they're leading their own team in a lot of cases. Right. And so uh, over time, as my desire to lead and manage to certain standards changed, I knew I had to shift what I expected. And so it literally, what I, I said the, the, uh, was a real question. I, I didn't make that up. Like I said to Fred, like if we're going to, we should be able to get 100 deals a year, 110, 125 deals a year from these people and without it costing you and I more than an an hour a week or, you know, maybe only two hours a month. Like what are those things that we can do? And it was, it was a, it was a question that I truly asked myself. And while we were friends, I still wasn't a viral client, uh, but I went, well, literally, okay. Viral would, that would make sense. Let's do that. That was the the time
1: you didn't have any type of like 36 touch campaign. That was digital. Not really. We
2: had the drip emails, you know, but not, no, nothing
1: but nothing system- like on the authentic level of like making a video that was relevant.
2: Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So part of it, like it was, I had to, we had to figure that out whole systems worth-
1: about four grand a month, plus your PPC and lead follow-up costs.
2: My, if you at no, it's less. I mean, the PPC and follow-up is like, that's like four grand.
1: And this doesn't cost that much more because it's pretty much all digital, a little bit direct mail.
2: I mean, you know how much viral costs. That's the most expensive part. Then there's HomeBot. That's almost free. I guess guess viral is probably not the most expensive part. I guess technically um, uh, client giant would be, but it's also for such a small number of people. It doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't really cost. I mean, it's, we spend five grand a year on that. And off of just
1: that sphere thing, how much business do you send to your agents off of that?
2: Dude, I'll bet you it's. Um, if I went back and actually counted everyone from last year, probably seventy to seventy-five transactions last year. But I mean, I could count it. A lot. Like we've got every source. We we do track. as one of the things that when we spend a lot more money on, we've got a great, yeah. great great internal system.
3: What know, do you teach that? it? What do you That's teach? Roughly twenty-five percent, Frank. Twenty-five percent, which is a great number. Just yeah. I just wanted to to put that out there.
1: What are your agents? What do you teach your agents? Same thing.
2: We literally just teach them to do exactly what, what we're doing. Uh, the agents on the 70, 30 split, they pay for their own home bot. They, and, and if they send postcards, none of them do, they would pay for the, they would pay for their own postcards. If they were, um,
1: Kevin, why not?
2: Kevin, it's 200. That, yeah. It's 200 the splits don't work. It's been... No, no. I have to make a profit. Like they have a right to a profit. I have a right to a profit. That's a core belief of mine. And so, because I have a right to profit so do that sort they it's just an exchange. Right. And so I'll, I'll lead them to do it. And, and here's the other thing. What I don't want to deal with is, um, I don't like the way this email looks or I don't really like this postcard. Okay. That's cool. Don't pay for it. Don't do it. Do it your way. Make it perfect. Yeah. I'm, I want it done. A lot of folks want it perfect. I want it complete. And so that's the trade-off. If I, if I was going to go start sending say the postcards on top of that and paying for the home bot, I mean, it's not the homebot. Like Like, you know, you're talking about 25 bucks an agent. It's not that. But then it's the management of, of it all. And it's the time to manage the 25 bucks a month. Because everybody yes.
1: has little different expectations of how they want it to look yeah. and what the words say. Kevin, uh, I know this.
2: Yeah, I know you know that. You know <laughs> that better than any of us yeah. because of your diverse client base. And so yeah. it's just an exchange of here's what you get. Here's what you pay for and here's what we provide and it's okay that it could be different. It's just not, it would have to just be on someone else's team. There's nothing wrong. Like, like Greg, I got to imagine Greg's model significantly different than mine from a compensation standpoint, right? It's really not. Cause again, to Greg's point, the money still gets spent. It's a matter of where does it get spent at, but at the end of the day, it's just that there's not a right or wrong. It's for me, as you know, Frank, I, I don't, I'm not in the business a lot. And so it's got to be manageable for me too. Not just like cost effective. Yeah, like it all has to balance out and work.
1: I think we asked you this, you know, um, you don't do any structured one-on-one time either at the 70-30 split. No. Well, so we kind of uh, about- I would about- give it
2: for the record though.
1: You'd provide if they asked.
2: Oh, if someone is like showing up every day and doing the work, yeah, I'll give them- I'd, I'd give them as much time as they wanted. But when they're you, real estate agents, as you know, um, when they, when they get busy, like they're busy, like I, i most of the agents that I'm spending time with on my team. Like I'm having to go s- to ask them for the time, not the other way around. Although they have carte blanche, like I would give them all the time that they wanted.
1: What's the training? What's the structured training that is provided?
2: We have a, um, onboarding training system, if you will, that everybody goes through on the way in. There's some tests in there. There's some, there's some scripts you have to learn. There's some training on CRM, things like that, right? Some training on financing, stuff like that, transactional type stuff. Once you're through that and actually working, you know, if you will, leads and in the database, then there are two one hour sessions a week that is mostly led uh, by Fred, my business partner, where, um, it's over zoom because we do have a couple agents in other cities and um, that's it. Like there, there's one of, one of them we call more of like liftoff. So it's for newer agents to help them with the, you know, whatever questions going on in their world, although everyone's invited to it. And then on Wednesday mornings, we have something we call mentorship hour. And um, that is mostly led by Fred, but we also have like our lender partner in there. Our amazing transaction um, manager and director is in there as well. She's really an amazing transactional coach too. So she's there and available in that one hour period. And then like that, so like that's the structure. So so if someone's saying, hey, I need more help, I need more training, and they're not showing up to that, like they're it's not available. Sorry. Show me that you show me that you have earned my time. I give my time to the people that deserve it, not need it. That's just, that's also a belief of mine. Like I want to help everyone, but I can't drag anybody to the starting line. So when you, when you're doing those things, that's, that's kind of like, that's the core. We can do that. And then, then it can grow from there.
1: How much of your economic model is based upon the fact that you have an incredibly trusted business partner, Fred?
2: Probably a lot of it, but I would say as much or more is because we have an incredibly trusted partner in Jill, who is our secret weapon on the administrative side, like she is the most talented administrator when it comes to real estate transactions I've ever been around in my entire life. She's amazing. I I would describe her as like half football coach, half mama bear. She will hug you, tell you it's okay. Give you the best advice possible while telling you to, to get your stuff together and make it, make it happen.
1: How long with her?
2: Uh, she's been with us just over six years now.
1: Yeah. Okay. Profitability wise, what happened? So you made this shift. You increased, e- increased everyone. You increased everyone's splits. Here's the key. Mm-hmm. Increased everyone's splits. Decreased basically all of your fixed costs yep. that you were paying on all this stuff, as well as made your variable costs. Put that yes. on the agent. Everyone's happier. Yes. What did that do to you and your business?
2: Um, first of all, made us happier. Like at first it made us like Again, we're always asking, are we doing the right thing? Should we be doing something different? Um, not from a second guessing ourselves, but I'll just making, just checking in with ourselves. Um, so at first it was scary because it was like, it's going to take a while for us to get offload some of these costs and for the profit to go up. But profit margin went up. Total profit went up. I, um, I, I'm i not saying this is the only reason, but at the end of the day, the, the average length that someone's on our team is just continue to go up every single day. Our retention has gone up. And more importantly for me, again, this is for me, my time invested into the daily activities of the business has gone down. And so there's two, I've had two positive effects, right? So that I've taken home more money and I've had to invest less and less time because there was a time where we were heavily invested in it every single day, all day, every day, both with our time and our money. And so a lot of that benefits us today, system-wise, and I'm sure, you know, we're missing opportunities. I bet if we were more involved and in the day-to-day operations of the team, we'd be selling more real estate. We'd have more agents on the team, all that. And it's not what I want. Like i I love our business. It's extremely profitable and extremely, more importantly, good for my behavior. I, I know Evan, I'm aware of myself and
1: what's your behavior.
2: My behavior is I don't want to micromanage anybody ever. I can't handle it. If you tell me what you're, if you tell me you're going to do something and you don't do it, first of all, if you tell me you're going to do something, I believe you when you don't do it, I might believe you one more time after that I'm done. And like, I just, I can't, I, I, I get so, so I had to like remove myself from having those sort of feelings. Um, I will add, I, I feel like I left something else that's really important now Something we added about probably two years ago, and we're doing another one of these now is We what we will do, and it says hundred percent optional. We will do little six week um, accountability groups, where Fred are, Fred and I are not the boss. We are we are we are peers, and it's totally opt in. And what happens is once a week for an hour, we have this little meeting where everyone makes a th- makes three commitments for the week. They're micro little, small, tiny commitments for the week. And then we get together the following week in between. There's a buddy that you have every day that you check in. And those are all mixed up every week. And then you, next week you report back and it's no more than one hour. It's very structured. It lasts six weeks at a time. And then we stop. And, you know, sometimes the agent, some of the agents will just do that on their own, like in smaller groups, but Fred and I have led that, you know, COVID put a damp damp on that we would gotten through like two of them we did one via zoom last year didn't quite have the same feeling and then we're now uh four and a half weeks into our to one right now so i guess we do we do that so that's increased my time on the team but i'm using that for me personally too. understand i'm using it for the accountability because the accountability of me knowing i have to check in with somebody else on my team about these three things that I said were important to me and I, I, they're not goals. They are commitments. It's what I'm going to do these things between now and next week's meeting, come hell or high water. I'm committed to these. And so knowing I have to check in with someone that's, you know, and a lot of people, some it's everyone will, for the most part have at least one business, but there's a lot more personal and family stuff going on in there than you could ever imagine. And so we will do that occasionally as well, and it's something I really enjoy doing because of the benefit I get for it.
1: Under your model, is there a limit to the number of agents that you could have? Because you don't really have much fixed cost for each marginal agent you bring on. It's like you're running a brokerage in a brokerage.
2: We, that's exactly it. So um, no, there's no limit. I, I, you know, from because of the systems we have for onboarding, we could effectively onboard, as, I mean, an unlimited number of agents. Because
1: there's really no sales manager salary investing one-on-one support coaching everybody. Right. Which is usually a limit to how many agents you can take on. There's no, you're not feeding everyone with a marketing budget. So as more agents you get, you don't have to increase your marketing spend, which is more risk. We,
2: we, I mean, we would inspect, we would increase it a little bit, but that's, I mean, we'd have to add so many, like the way I look at it, but here's the way I'm always going to sort of look at it. If I, let's say I hire 10 agents um, let's say I had just 10 more agents a year from today than I have today. I would expect that I'm closing five more deals a month. Like it's half a deal a month, an agent. That's how but, I look at it. When does that's an agent that's where the, that's where the averages land. We're higher than that right now because it's, we're smaller, but as the team grows, it's just, I know that I can, as long as I can budget for half a deal per month, per agent and keep everything within those guidelines, I'm, I'm good. So I will, I would crank up the spend. If I had 20 people who are like, Hey, we want to join your team. And I would love, I'd love that to happen. Um, we would crank it up a little bit for sure.
1: I think what's interesting is that, you know, a typical body count brokerage, you know, you'll have a bunch of agents licensed there that aren't doing much. and It's fine. You won't do that. One, I want to know why. And second, when do you let an agent go and say, I don't want you on the team anymore?
2: When they're a jerk. I mean, here's the deal, Frank, if you're an agent on my team and your goal is to sell three houses a year, like that doesn't excite me, but that's your goal. And so I'm going to support you in it. If you're a good person, like if you're the type of person I want to be around, I want to be associated with, then you're welcome here. But if you're the type of person that's like a taker and is going to be a drain on resources, you got to go. So it's, so that's, that's the type of person I want. And the way I look at it, like, let's say, so let's say I really wanted to go to 600 transactions, right? I'm at around 300 and let's say I want to virtually double that. I know that I just need double the number of agents, maybe a little bit more than double. Like if, if 600 became like this thing that I had to have, and I've been there, there's been a time where I was chasing the transactional numbers or the volume numbers. If that ever became a thing for me, it's a, it's a relatively easy equation. It's just add the enough people. And I know that I know in, f- through my experience and even watching brokerages and seeing their numbers, it's like half a unit per agent per month. You can budget on that. You can manage to that. It's not that hard.
1: Something that Greg, you say all the time is you have to meet the agent where they're at. Yes. He's, that's a, that's a very wise thing I hear from the wise men and women is not giving the agent the goal. Is asking well, them what the goal is and make sure you meet them where they want the goal to be. I,
2: I don't know if it, if Gray got here, got to that the same way we did, but this, but we got to that by realizing like, I can't, I can't force them to be productive. I can't force them to follow up the way I do. I can't force them to want the same things I want. And that's okay.
3: The other thing I, I would add to that is meet them where they are and then, and then you can lead them to where they want to go. Yeah. But you got, it, it, it requires that we meet them, meet them at the three deals. That's, that's, I, I, I can remember this one lady. She only needed to do two deals a year. And the reason why is because she had enough money in retirement to live off of, but her, her and her significant other liked to go on cruises and two deals paid for their recruit. They're like either one cruise or two cruises. I couldn't remember. And she would come into the office and she would light up the office. No one gave a darn that she only wanted to two deals. We were just excited that if she came into the office one time this month, we knew she was going to come in with a smile. She added to the environment and that meant more to me than somebody that could do 10 deals, 20 deals, 100 deals. It was it was she added more than those two deals, I promise you. Yeah. We were so excited for her to like get on that cruise. You know. Yeah.
1: Kevin, I was um I was asked to be a bus driver today. My kids, I drop my school bus, comes from my kids where I'm at, and they have a shortage of 16 drivers.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: So they keep canceling the route. So I have to drive the kids, and I'm always a few minutes late. So I just talk to the front desk, and they ask me, Would you drive the bus? They ask me, Dude, you're I'm like
2: perfect for that.
1: <laughs> I'm like, You know, I,
0: just I think, might. I might.
2: I, you know,
1: I seriously considered it like the sheer joy that would bring me. <laughs> Bus driver. <laughs> I don't know why I'm sharing that, but it's yeah. the story of just just the two, the two, uh, the two. Um, I would have so much joy in that job. Yeah, you know what I mean. Out of just like having the joy of just doing two deals for my cruise, That's yeah. certainly, I'm sure I would bring joy to all the other bus drivers getting yeah. to do that. You know what you, I mean?
2: You know, even prior to us shifting that way, something that didn't. I hate stage talk. Like. I hate when people are on stage in front of thousands of people saying stuff that I know is not true because I know yeah. their business. Right. And to hear people be like, well, we just have a minimum of three transactions a month or you can't be on the team. And I'm like, really? That's complete. Like that's a lie. Cause I know you and I know your business. Right. And so I got so sick and tired of hearing that. And so I just, I never, we would never like say, Hey, here's the minimum to stay on the team. We're, we've always been like, here's the minimum effort to be on the team. And, and then eventually over the years, probably out, I think it was somewhere around 2015, 2000, late 14, early 15, we were just like, we, just people, we, we started viewing ourselves as more of the platform that agents run their business on and less that they were running our business. And so our, we viewed our business as just
1: supporting that. It's an interesting thought. Thank you for sharing that. That was good. Yeah.
3: I think yeah, that's, it, that falls in the category of just absolutely great leadership. I mean, that's not team owner. That's not brokerage. That, that's leadership. That's Thanks. leadership.
1: I got my last question for you, Kevin. Why not 80-20 as opposed to
2: 70-30? I, I have, still have bills to pay. I'm going to make a profit.
1: 80-20 doesn't do it. Because I've seen a few teams that like, have a graduated split up to 80-20. But then it's, like, it's almost like, ah, oh, no, all my agents are almost too productive now. This is a bad thing.
2: Yeah. I would hate to resist because have you ever had to do a takeaway with it, with, with someone? Yeah. that probably be bad. It, it just doesn't work. And so there just has That's to be 70, a line.
1: not 75, 25, like 70, 30 was the magical number. What's your average sales price average in where you're at? Uh,
2: three sixty-five.
1: Do you think that would change for somebody a market at a different sales price?
2: Yeah. Like if my average sales price is like say 600, 500, 750, whatever. I mean, you could, you could move it all. Right. Um, absolutely. That could, that could change it. But at the end of the day, I just, it's worth it. It's like the value. And if it's not, that's okay. They could be somewhere else. I'm a, i am I actually, I don't have any personal feelings around someone choosing to not be on my team. I I think everybody should do what they feel is best for themselves.
1: How did you find your agents? Sorry. One more question. Where'd you find them? Where'd you find all these people that love working with you and your behavior and your economic model and whatnot?
2: Um, like, so like Steph, our number one agent by production in years, I've just known forever. Um, she was actually one of my salaried agents that we then converted to commission. Um, a lot of personal relationships and a lot of being in the trenches recruiting. When Fred and I knew we were going to scale, if you will, our, our model at that time. Um, it was my job to go be the recruiter. And so I went out and I interviewed slash recruited as many agents as I could get in front of for a long, long period of time. I mean, for years. And so they just different sources. Like I'm the guy that's, that would always be calling you to go like, Frank, who do you who do you know that's thinking about looking for a team? Like who, who can you introduce me to? Or, you know, be running ads on wise hire or indeed or wherever. I mean, we still do that. We just get so few out of it. You know, like at the end of the day, when you look at our core, um, relationships, referrals is where most of these people have come from. If I look at our, if I look at our top productive, top producing agents, probably our top 10 warm referral, probably without exception. I could go look. I'd were to- they
1: unlicensed and you made them licensed or they're warm referral licensed? Uh,
2: they were either uh, warm referral unlicensed or warm referral just got licensed. Brand new. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Was there an element, I'm sorry, I'm just just curious, was there an element of ease with the newbies bringing them into your system?
2: It's just a different set of issues, right? Because now you've got to train them on all of it versus untrain them on what they think they know. And so I don't, again, I think it's more of the personal preference. What's funny is my, as we were really setting up our operation, investing into what our system and platform is the word, the language I used for our agents was, I always thought it was better suited for an experienced agent. This was significantly easier to recruit new agents. And so we found I think that's what we found ourselves with newer agents mostly and the occasional experienced agent.
1: Got it. Greg, any last questions for Kevin?
3: No, you're answering a lot of them that, uh, or you're asking him a lot of them that I was, you know, just kind of thinking in my head. And, and I, I would just say that, Kevin, our, our models are way more similar than they are even slightly different. Yeah. I, 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 I think from an economic standpoint, they're very similar. I would say that um, maybe some of the value that I deliver probably um, matches my skill sets And some of the value that you deliver probably matches some of your skill sets. But at the end of the day, economically, it's probably around around the same. And then we're probably delivering value based on what our skill sets are. So it it was really neat to hear.
2: Yeah, I I think you have to do that. And again, I I go back to, there's the, I I think for me, it's skill set and behavior. Because I I am aware of my impatience. I'm aware Mm -hmm. of my... I am aware of the way I like, you know, my favorite basketball player versus Kobe Bryant by Mm. a mile. And we have
3: a lot of similar interests in sports, by the way.
2: (laughs) I think he would be a, he probably would have been a terrible coach, like Mm. at the professional level. He was obviously great with girl with, with his daughter's teams, but he'd been, I think he probably would have been really bad with NBA players because of his intensity and his work ethic. It's so hard to shift from, be in the very, very best that you can be to being able to, to meet people where they're at and trying to instill as much of that. So I, you know, for me, I just looked at it like that, like I can do that job. I could be a great sales leader and manager if I wanted in the day-to-day of our sales team. It's not where I prefer to spend my time. And uh, rather than let that burn me out, I, you know, I, I just chose to, I'm, I, I choose time and freedom over more money every single time. It's not a question. I want, as, I want to make as much money as possible. And if you're going to make me choose between the two, my value is going to be, always be more towards the time, time with my family, time with my friends, time with myself over a certain, you know, ne- the next accomplishment financially or business-wise.
1: We'll wrap this up here. I want to share something with you, Kevin, in the audience. There is an incredible story I'll share here. If you Google this on CBS News, the talent mindset behind the Golden State Warriors and their dynasty. Um, This is incredible. 13 minutes. I forget who the coach is. Is Steve Kerr? Steve Kerr. (laughs) He's just like, I can't do anything. And all he has to do is just manage these amazing players. And the talent that he had to overcome from being a player to a coach is really what the 13 minutes is on. It's funny you bring that up but it's such a wonderful example of like leadership of how to transition from being like the rainmaker to like the, the sales manager, I guess, in many respects. Yeah. And uh, that 13 minutes, if you guys have a chance to watch this is absolutely incredible. I thought you guys enjoyed that. So I'll share that with you. So Kevin, thank you for your time. You can hop out of here. You can go back to your day. Uh, Greg and I are going to stay on here and talk about you for some overtime.
2: Oh man. I can't wait to see what that <laughs> recording comes out as. How's that can sound? I, can I go watch that on Inman or where, where is that?
1: It'll be on Inman. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It'll be on YouTube.
0: All right. I, I can't wait
2: time. To Thanks, guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Talk to you soon.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Kevin and Fred's community at EXP Realty. Learn why over 1,000 real estate agents joined EXP Realty last week. Join us for an informational webinar this Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Register at intro to exprealty.com.